In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Knackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. So on the last episode of Notably Disney, you heard author and historian Jim Fanny and I discuss the first set of picks for our favorite live-action Disney film quotes, and they were all over the place in terms of selections, from The Muppets, the 2011 release on my end, to on Jim's end, The Rocketeer, the early 90s cult classic. And there are many more quotes that we want to highlight that really encompass a variety of genres and intent as well. And we'll share some stories uh, and interpretations along the way so that we have a better appreciation for the films in which those quotes come from. So I invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy this continued conversation with Disney historian and author Jim Fanning. My next pick uh, actually ties back to your last pick, The Love Bug, by virtue of two factors, um, which I realized, and this was not planned. So two threads. Um, One is that the quote involves a vehicle. The second aspect is the setting um, in San Francisco. So my pick is from 2001's The Princess Diaries, which is, uh, that's probably just a, a like gold standard in my book of just great writing and, and funny um, from this more modern Disney era. Uh, Julie Andrews, uh, who hadn't been in a Disney film, and I mean, she, she had made appearances on different television specials, but to my knowledge, Jim, and you can correct me, this was her comeback to the big screen in a Disney production since Mary Poppins, correct? That is correct, Brett. Yeah. And, and so nearly 40 years had elapsed. And so she plays Queen Clarice Rinaldi and she's engaging with her uh, teenage daughter played magnificently by Anne Hathaway. And it, this scene for which I'm going to quote comes from probably the latter third of the film. It's when um, when Mia decides to take 
the queen out around San Francisco because they had been so much focused on princess training that the queen hadn't really come to embrace what it's like to be a teenage girl. And they they go on a lot of fun adventures, including over to Fisherman's Wharf. And um, and uh, I, I went, my one time I went to San Francisco, I kind of reenacted a few of the scenes, including when she's arm wrestling the that little machine that were, uh, that kind of knocks her down. And um, anyways, it, it's the I think it's Musée Mechaniques or something along those lines. There's all those old 19, early 1900s arcade games. It's fantastic. Anyways, my quote comes from toward the end of the day that they spend together and they have a little mishap with uh, with Mia's car, where she, they, if you remember the scene, perhaps the, the car is rolling down the very, very steep San Francisco hill and crashes into a trolley. And they have a whole interaction with the, the, uh, the folks who are aboard the trolley and, and, you know, the queen is very regal and, and wanting to just kind of blow past all of this. And this is just a little mishap. And the, the people who uh, who are running the trolley are, are very kind and understanding. And at the very end, the queen says, goodbye, trolley people. And there's too many quite great quotes from that film that I use actually very frequently. But I love uh, that one as well as thank you for being here today uh, in, in a very royal tone. But the goodbye, trolley people, you don't hear that every day, but it's still fun to say. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that is that is a wonderfully done film. It's just it's just delightful. And it fits the whole Disney canon, you know. It 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 is exact exactly as you say. It's a modern day Disney film. And there's nothing about it that that betrays that heritage. So, it's extremely well done and that is a fun fun quote. Yeah, I also like the. There are so many good deadpan lines from Joe, the um, the driver, uh, who, <laughs> who, like the, basically, uh, yeah, who just has a lot of fun barbs with with Princess Mia. But um, yeah, that's the one I went with. And and who's the screenwriter on that? Oh yes, thank you for taking us back to giving people good credit. I think let me pull Gary it up. Marshall was the director, and yeah, and. Lot to do with the story because he's a writer himself. Yeah, so the name that I'm seeing here is uh, Gia Wenkos. Um, not familiar with. Um, let me see. She's not the author of the book, but um, I'm wondering if I can quickly just acknowledge her credits. Uh, Meg Cabot wrote the book. Um, Gia Wenkos is also responsible for films like uh, The Princess Diaries Two, Royal Engagement. Uh, <laughs> Coyote Ugly, um, that film, uh, a handful of TV show episodes, not really a ton of credits, but um, it's, a, it's a great script. So wow. yeah, there you have it. You should be doing more. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> great. Well, let's see. I am going to go with another Irish character if not film which the film is the happiest millionaire the character is john lawless the butler who's in a way the central character <laughs> because he kind of brings you into the film and comments upon 
the happening. So he's kind of your identification figure, but he has a lot of um, fun lines. And uh, obviously, again, my Irish heritage, I gravitate toward that. But it's interesting, this and a couple of the others that I still haven't mentioned, they're musicals. And in musicals, the lines, the, the primary way the characters are expressing themselves, obviously, is through the songs. And we're not doing lyrics, we're doing lines. So in the musicals, I was often saying, well, gosh, that character is really expressing themselves in this song, but we're not doing that. So at any rate, this is just kind of absurd, um, which I love, and the, the film does need it. So anyhow, halfway through the movie, the pet alligators of this eccentric millionaire uh, are, are in, their, in their little tubs, I guess you would say, and they, and they get, it gets very cold outside and they get, they get frozen. So the happiest millionaire is not happy about this. He thinks that they're dead. And then his daughter comes home from college and says that she's engaged. And with this guy that they don't know anything about, and they're just shocked, his happiest millionaire is very, very, very unhappy about that because he's also very possessive <laughs> and is not ready for his only daughter to be married. So he's quite shocked. So it's not a very good night. And John Long as the butler, played by Tommy Steele, says, it, it never rains, but it pours. To lose your only daughter and your pet alligators on the same black night. <laughs> That's a very Irish way of putting things. And then, interestingly, there's kind of a reverse, because the next morning, the alligators thought, have thawed out. They are running around the house. They are not dead. They were just frozen. And the happiest millionaire, played by Fred McMurray and his daughter, Leslie Ann Warren, they have a talk and they come to a better understanding. So now, John Wallace says, there's an old Irish proverb, to have your alligators thawed out and your, and your daughter forgive you all in the same bright day. That's fortuosity. And of course, fortuosity is the big song. So he ties it into to his kind of theme song and the theme song of the movie, I guess you could say. So anyhow, I love, I love the absurdity of those lines and that this Irish character kind of brings this commentary to what's going on. So. And as I recall, Fortuosity is your favorite Disney song. Is it, is that right? You, you recall correctly. <laughs> I love the music from that film. It has been a while since I've revisited it. So the quote doesn't, uh come as clearly to me but um it, it definitely sounds uh quite amusing in that context that you described <laughs> yeah it's it's great and i like that in in films that there's a character that kind of lifts it out of i don't want to say the ordinary but the ordinary of the movie mm -hmm. you know it just takes it to a different level and that's that's the way that that character works in that movie he's commenting on things and He's quite different than they are, obviously. So he has a different perspective. Um, I, I love that that Irish touch. And I'm sure Walt very, very much appreciated that too, because he was I'm sure that's one thing that attracted him to the property was a stage play and, and not a musical. 
but he he did enjoy his Irish heritage as well and got a kick out of all things Irish. So, mm -hmm. and I know you've written about a thing or two about that. <laughs> yes, and we should mention that um, it was based on a stage play, and, and the screenwriters AJ Carruthers, who did a number of Disney screenplays at that time, and I think he's quite good. Mm -hmm. I, I I met him a few times before he passed away, and he was a very a very lovely gentleman. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And and loved working with the Sherman Brothers, and loved working with Walt, and it was a great. This and other things were a great experience. The other Disney things he did. Hmm. So nice. Well, I I I in my mind I expected there would be at least one happiest millionaire quote <laughs> given your proclivities, and I, I can see why it's. Um, yeah, very, very fun in, in nature, um, which I think is a thread to my next selection. We're now in the early 90s. Um, so my pick is from Hocus Pocus, because uh, I think uh, many people I know would be upset if I didn't have a Hocus Pocus quote, but I also love the, the lines from that. And much like some of these other films that we've both discussed, there could be a number of different picks. I feel particularly with some of the comedies, there's just often just so many lines that, that could be pulled out. Um, so I'm pulling one from Bette Midler as Winifred Sanderson. And, you know, I, I feel like in recent years, every quote has surfaced somehow on some piece of merchandise or gif. But the one that I picked is Oh, look, another glorious morning. It makes me sick. <laughs> um, I could, I was also tempted to do sisters uh, or um, some other ones, but I, I decided to go with uh, her. Just, she just eats it all up. Uh, some of the best performances I think that we've highlighted so far, they just, uh, they just absolutely put themselves in that uh unique eccentric role for for Bette Midler was Winifred who she considers her favorite character that she's played on film um and certainly she had the chance to reprise that very recently but I I love that and actually I have seen this quote on a doormat so you could have this as a doormat uh if you wanted which I think is very apropos um to, to greet the day that awaits ahead so uh, that is my selection. Uh, mind you, she did not win any awards for this role, but I think she was snubbed from a at least a Golden Globe nomination because it is fantastic yes. and it holds up. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I do think it's a modern classic. I really do. And so much fun with the whole Halloween thing and uh, the whole world of the film and the backstory and it intertwining with you know the the contemporary world it's really neat so well thought out and a fantastic score by john Dutney, um, who i had the pleasure of interviewing a couple of years ago which was yes. definitely a highlight so for sure yeah he and he's wonderful and so and has disney major disney ties as you know so absolutely what and what a fantastic talent and a fantastic man he's such a lovely lovely gentleman i've known him for a long long time <laughs> oh really okay cool okay so i'm preaching to the choir 
Yes, that's that's okay. But we, you and I must preach to all everyone else who may not know, may not know him or know him from other things and didn't realize he did hocus pocus. <laughs> and knowing that he's extremely intertwined with the Sherman brothers too. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah, hocus pocus. That that's my selection. And there are probably ten. I could probably do ten quotes from hocus pocus, but that's mine. Absolutely, you could. But yes. Not every line could go on a on a doormat. So <laughs> true. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, Jim. I know we have uh, several more selections. Um, we could probably talk about these for hours, as we already have. But what yes. is what is next on your list? <laughs> well, my and mine is another musical, but not by the Sherman Brothers. It's Newsies. And I do think there are a great number of lines from that even that could be quoted. But given its historical, it's a fictional story, but it's based, well, it's, it's a fictional movie, but it's based on historical happenings and historical contexts. So, of course, the newsies are these poor newsboys whose living is selling the newspapers. And at the other end of the extreme, they are selling the newspapers published by the the famous and real life publisher Joseph Pulitzer. So there, there it's a complicated story, but it's very interesting to me that there's this there's this great scene that's sort of a meeting of not a meeting of the minds, a confrontation of the minds between Joseph Pulitzer and Jack Kelly, played by Christian Bale. Joseph Pulitzer is played by um Robert Duvall, the great Robert Duvall. So two, two terrific actors right there. And a great confrontation between these very different people. But at any rate, Joseph Pulitzer says, people think that wars are about right or wrong. They're not. They're about power. So in thinking back on Newsies, and I wanted to pick something from Newsies, that quote stuck in my mind. But then when I watched that little section again. I forgot that Jack Jack Kelly has a great comeback um, or a response, perhaps is the better term. He says, yeah, I heard of that too. I don't just sell your papers, Joe. Sometimes I read them. So <laughs> the, the Pulitzer quote is great on its own, but then the, then the Jack Kelly thing is a character response, so much in character. So especially that Pulitzer quote, but the two of those put together are just one of the delights of that film. We always love underdog stories, and I think Newsies epitomizes that, and certainly the stage production, um, too, which is um, just magnificent, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more tethered to, to the stage production, actually, than the film, but nonetheless, uh, that, that I... I feel like your quote there is also has modern implications. <laughs> Absolutely does. Uh, worth noting, uh, Newsies was written by a husband-wife duo, um, Bob Zudiker and Noni White, uh, whose work for Disney, as Wikipedia says, includes writing credits for The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Fantastic Tarzan, 102 Dalmatians, uh, that, that's definitely the oddball, no pun intended, in the mix among their writing credits. But um, yeah, Great. interesting. Yeah. yeah. 
good good Disney company people with among all those credits. Right. I also, uh, and oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, obviously, working with Alan Menken and it, yeah, it's great, great job. I also wanted to just quickly point out because I failed to earlier, Hocus Pocus, a screenplay by Mick Garris, um, who's done some Stephen King adaptations, apparently. So very horror that that fits. Uh, Neil Cuthbert, uh, the story uh, by Garris, as well as uh, David Kirshner, um, who uh, has a long list history of of projects in Hollywood um, over many decades. So. Um, including uh, a bunch of Chucky films, so or a few Chucky films, so <laughs> um, not 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 many other Disney ones, from what I can quickly scan. Although he was uh, a part of Hocus Pocus too, so I just wanted to quickly harken back to that to be fair. Yes, yes, thank you. It's I think it's so good we're taking a moment to remember the writers. <laughs> And at the very least, some of their better products, if not always, you know, not everybody always delivers a home run, but at least um, many, many of them are great. Um, that's, I, I give snaps to Newsies. And uh, my next pick uh, also debuted to uh, right around that period. So early 90s, uh, one of my absolute favorite Disney films um, is one that involves animals. And for that, I, I'm going with Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. Um, a an animal adventure flick that focuses on three household pets. You have a golden retriever, bulldog, and uh, a cat, um, Himalayan cat, who end up getting um, lost, um, so to speak. They they're trying to return home. They're on a family farm. Um, that uh, basically the family has moved to a new place. They have to be on a farm for a while and they're, they want to be back with their, their humans, including three kids. And so this trio of animals set off on what's really an incredible journey. It's uh, an extremely touching film. It's a, a remake um, in many ways of the incredible journey from the early 1960s um, and a different flavor, mind you, um, and certainly uh, different with the animals talking. Um, thankfully, we're not at, quite at the stage in, in film history where the mouths move as well, which I always find creepy with the animals, but rather you just hear their narration uh, and them talking to one another, but the mouths aren't moving. And you have uh, you have Don Amici as Shadow, Michael J. Fox as Chance, and then Sally Field as Sassy. And um, th this quote uh, arrives at the end of the film. Um, with Chance, who's the, the kind of the new one in the family, trying to make sense of of, of what it's like to to be at home, um, to have a family, and he and he says, "I had learned that sacrifice, friendship, and love were more than just the mushy stuff." At last, for the first time in my life, I was home, and uh, I get all the goosebumps there. And um, there's a lot of funny lines. It is in many ways a comedy, but it's a it's a drama. It's an adventure film. It's a very sad film to watch at times when you think some of the pet, one of the pets in particular isn't going to make it. Um, and I tear up every time I listen to the score or uh, watch some of the scenes and interviewing Bruce Brout and the composer was definitely a gift uh, for early on in the podcast. And 
Um, so yeah, Homeward Bound, uh, this quote from Michael J. Fox's Chance, who's ultimately, you know, he's often a smart aleck in the film, but he also has these very touching, reflective moments. And he says it with that just decency. Um, it's it's beautiful. So that's my selection from Homeward Bound. Oh, I love that selection. I, I never would have thought of that, but you're absolutely right. So it's so well done. And there are a lot of funny lines. You could have gone that way. But I'm glad you you glad you went that with that one. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it's, uh, it's definitely one worth revisiting, and in um, very shortly it turns 30 years old. Um, Newsy celebrated 30 years this year. Hocus Pocus, it's 30 very soon. Yeah, it's all it's all quite unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I I know. Uh, we have three more selections from you, and I know I've been very verbose, so I will be more succinct. Oh, by the way, Homeward Bound, let me, before we forget, because I want to be recognizing these screenwriters, we have, uh, oh, interesting, Linda Wolverton handled part of the screenplay, who, of course, was um, involved with uh, the first woman to have written an animated feature, Beating the Beast, um, and then Lion King um, as well, uh, Carolyn Thompson. Uh, who uh, was with the Nightmare Before Christmas, and um, Jonathan Roberts, uh, who co-wrote The Lion King, is also attached but uncredited, apparently, as Wikipedia says, so I guess we'd have to look into that more. So, <laughs> just want to briefly mention them. Yes, absolutely. Well, I'll go to one that everyone knew was coming, and it's another Bill Walsh, Don DeGrati screenplay, but not just any, one that is acclaimed and way up there in terms of everyone's, one of everyone's favorite class, favorite classics and pertains to one of your early choices, Brett, because this is Mary Poppins. And again, a musical. So, so much of that is said, is said in the lyrics of the songs, but one, and Aside from that, there are many quotable lines, many funny lines, many absurd lines, wonderful things. One that occurs to me is when Mary Poppins and Bert and the children have popped into the chalk pavement pictures, the kids are going to run off to the, to the little carnival that's over the hill. And Mary Poppins says, don't fall down and smudge the drawing. So just, just that kind of absurd... <laughs> <laughs> quality she has of mixing the sort of mundane child caregiver with this wonderful fantasy and, and just the way she says she delivers her lines, Julie Andrews, that is, connecting with the Princess Diaries as well. But at any rate, what I did choose was Michael saying to Mary Poppins, will you stay if we promise to be good? And Mary Poppins says, that's a pie crust, that's a pie crust promise easily made, easily broken. So it's it's quite snappy and quite memorable. And I find myself thinking about it. And when I watched it again to make sure that I had the word, you know, the exact quote, for the first time ever, I always thought she was talking about if she promised to stay, that would be a pie crust promise. But this time I think I thought, oh, I think she's talking about Michael promising to be good. So I like <laughs> I like the little uh, dual meaning that could be there and, and the little depth to it. Now it's apparently, it does sound like a British 
saying, doesn't it? And apparently it was a well-known phrase. And there was actually a poem written about it. And I think I wrote the name of the poet down. One of the most, one of the foremost women poets of the 19th century, Christina Rossetti, wrote a poem called High Crest Promises or, or something, so some title to that. And according to this write-up I was reading, the saying is promises are like pie crust made to be broken. Well, I like the way Mary Poppins says it much better. Easily made, easily broken. To leave out the easily made part, part of it is not the same thing. That's really what makes it a pie crust promise because that part, the, the fact that it's easy just to say it, that's what makes it easily broken. So I really liked I really liked whether that's a variation on the saying anyhow, and Mary Poppins is quoting it, or that was Bill Walsh's little spin on it, I don't know. But Mary Poppins, of course, quotes Keats as well, so she can, she can quote the best of them. Uh, and that's another aspect to her personality that I just love. So Mary Poppins, very quotable, but that's, that's the quote I focused in on. There's so many nice interactions between her and Michael. Close your mouth, Michael, please. We are not a codfish. Or please, Michael, we're not codfish. <laughs> right. Oh, I love the pie crust promise line. It also makes me very hungry hearing that. But <laughs> there, gosh, the yeah, you're right. You're, you're right in terms of like, I mean, it's it's really this is a, a superfluous, uh, I guess, a superlative. I think it is the pinnacle of of Disney live action um, and Disney musicals, and that the writing for it is just so apropos. Everything fits. Everything has a purpose, even though it's a long film in many respects. It, it, it nothing is wasted, right? That's a credit to the writing and the the folks who deliver it. Absolutely, and then in another nod toward saving Mr. Banks. If if for people who are familiar with the P.L. Travers stories, they are just that they're story they're they're unconnected stories. They're incidents. Mary Poppins comes. They have these magical adventures. She leaves. So the, for them to have stitched together these sort of separate adventures into this cohesive whole that does work as just these little stories as if you wanted to look at it that way and the musical numbers, but also all comes together and always takes you by surprise, I think, always takes you by surprise. When it turns more dramatic and turns more toward Mr. Banks, it does take you by surprise in a great way. It takes you in an unexpected area and I and I think I've even said to you before it's quite remarkable because I've said to you and I've said to others Mary Poppins disappears from the film for quite a long time <laughs> so anyhow we could go on and on about that well we shall go on about Mary Poppins for just a moment because that is the, the penultimate pick on my list um, because we we jumped from we jumped uh, thirty years. Um, not that I'm disregarding films from the '70s and '80s, but they're not on my list. Um, Mary Poppins. My quote is uh, an exchange between her and Mr. Banks. Mary Poppins says, first of all, I would like to make one thing qu 
quite clear. Yes, he asks. I never explain anything. Simple as that. <laughs> Perfect. Perfection. Sums, sums her up. And is an in-depth in character thing as well for her to be just setting her employer straight, especially in the class-conscious British world that this is taking place in. Consistently elusive she is, and that makes her an even more intriguing character to, to follow and to, um, and to, in some degrees, see her character development throughout. Great, great choice. So that's the first one that we, that's the first film that we've chosen, both of us have chosen together, or not chosen together, but. Yeah, I, I figured Mary Poppins would be on. I'm actually surprised that we have had no other overlap so far, given, I mean, the, of course, the library is so vast, but uh, you have two more picks. So I wonder if there's still one more opportunity for there to be overlap. I wonder too. This is quite fascinating. Um, let's see. I am looking through my list because I have now forgotten. Mary Poppins put everything out of my yeah. mind, but I chose Something Wicked This Way Comes. Oh, so we are going to the 80s then. <laughs> One of us had to, right? <laughs> but of course, based on a book by Ray Bradbury, and he was definitely involved with writing the screenplay, he he did indeed write the screenplay, but I, I believe there were other hands involved. But at any rate, how could there not be great lines with, with that lineage? And very fascinating confrontation between Mr. Dark, who's this sort of devil-like character who's running the who's running the carousel, or I mean running the carnival <laughs> that's visiting this small town. And it's really secretly collecting souls, really. And he's confronting Charles, played by Jason Robard. So of course, this is going to be fantastic. Mr. Dark is played by the great Jonathan Price as well, two great actors. Mr. Dark says the, the Jason Robards character is a librarian and Miss any sort of confront, they're confronting each other without really confronting each other, yet they really are confronting each other. So that's very intriguing. But anyhow, Mr. Dark says about him being a librarian, all that time spent living only through other men's lives, dreaming only other men's dreams. What a waste. And he responds, sometimes a man can learn more from other men's dreams than he can from his own. Come visit me, sir, meaning come to the library if you wish to improve your education. So great, great lines from a great writer about the greatness of a library and books and how that could be misunderstood, but actually has a lot to offer and a lot to say. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely intrigued. I have heard um, different positive notes about that film. Did he say Jonathan Price was one of the actors in the quote um, who recited the quotes that you said? Yes, he plays Mr. Dark. Mr. Dark, okay. And he's the one that's sort of taunting with the Jason Robards character. Gotcha. Saying, you know, you're a librarian, you haven't done anything, you just look, you know, you just read books. What do you know? 
this kind of so yeah i one of if not jonathan price's first films one of his earliest well and certainly he has disney connections for playing elizabeth swan's father in uh pirates of the caribbean as well there you go yeah interesting um yeah written by ray bradbury so yeah i think th there's a mic drop moment right there so <laughs> you don't hear that uh name every day in a Disney film but of course we know he has many Disney connections yeah since such a great great Disney Disney fan yeah oh my gosh good one okay well I am going to my last selection is probably I don't I, I can't say because I haven't seen something look at this way comes but in the same what I might imagine to be the same spirit of mystique and intrigue um I'm not sure if those are words that one might characterize to use with that film but they are two words that go with my last selection, uh, which is the oldest one on my list, um, but by no means least. And that is 1954's, I want to make sure I got the year right, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. You got it. 54, yep. Because I always think about it, it's one, one year before Disneyland. Um, uh, fantastic. I mean, obviously, it's, uh, it's another gold standard Disney, early Disney film and, and one that gosh, provided so much inspiration for different areas of the parks and number of attractions. And certainly Tokyo Disney Sea has the mysterious island, um, which I would love to visit. But uh, James Mason's performance as Captain Nemo is fantastic, much like Kirk Douglas. Um, and I, I love a number of lines that Mason recites. Um, and there is almost a, a literary element to how he speaks. It's very eloquent and precise. Everything has, much like the writing of Mary Poppins, everything's perfect. Um, but his character kind of describes the, um, the beauty of the sea. And it's a long quote, but I'll, I'll share it. On the surface, there is hunger and fear. Men still exercise unjust laws. They fight, tear one another to pieces. A few mere feet beneath the waves, their rain seizes, their evil drowns. Here on the ocean floors, the only independence, here I am free. Imagine what would happen if they controlled machines such as this submarine boat. Far better that they think there's a monster and hunt me with harpoons. Beautifully said. I, I think it's a wonderful um, movie and piece of cinema and really intrigued too by what that Nautilus series that will debut on Disney plus sometime in the next year hopefully what that will do in extending the Disney connection to the source material and perhaps cause folks to revisit the 54 classic absolutely what a fantastic choice both of the film and that quote just absolutely fantastic. Thank you. And the screenwriter here is Earl Felton, um, who um, was primarily popular in the, in the 40s and 50s, but um, I'm not sure if there were any other Disney credits to his name. Um, but I could be mistaken. So yeah, I think that I think that's it. He was he was teamed at the time with Richard Fleischer. They they did they worked together. So when Richard Fleischer was signed to do 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, he brought Earl Felton with him to write the screenplay. And he did oh, such a fantastic job. 
as your quote indicates. Great, thank you. Well, I think you are going to offer our grand finale quote right now. <laughs> well, I wish mine was as profound as yours, but it is a film that you probably saw coming, and that is Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, again, written by the great Bill Walsh and Don DeGrotti, and again, uh, a movie that has so many quotable lines. There's so much humor and wit in so many of the lines. And the, and the basic premise, of course, is that Miss Price, played by Angela Lansbury, so fantastically, is a garden variety spinster, as they would have said then, who lives in this small village, a bit of an eccentric, but she's prim and proper. And she has her own way of looking at witchcraft and the magic that she can create. <laughs> So there's a lot of that sort of thing, kind of a practicality toward these magical marbles that she can work. So when she meets her supposed witchcraft professor, Professor Brown, played by David Tomlinson, he is astonished that the things he has been selling her, as he thought, a con, actually, she can actually make them work. So that when he's that so that when he expresses surprise that they're going to take this bed <laughs> and go somewhere on it, she says, "Oh, it." She says, "Oh, it works by your traveling spell." And he says, "My traveling spell that works as well." And she says, and this is the quote: "Oh, perfectly. Oh, perfectly well. A bit theatrical, perhaps, but then most good spells are." <laughs> And I just love the, that, that she's so matter of fact about it. And she, and she puts it in such a, like she's thought about this and she's observational and she's, she's kind of crisp. She has a crisp quality to her and she kind of enjoys saying that and wouldn't a bit theatrical, perhaps. In other words, maybe she thinks it's a little too theatrical for her tastes as this reserved English woman, this, this village resident. But, you know, but let's face it, most good spells are. So perhaps like most good Disney quotes are, these have all been in their own way a bit theatrical. So maybe that can serve as our, our summation as well as our final quote. <laughs> I think that's that's very apt and uh, yeah, a snappy but satisfying line that I uh, yeah, I, I think I messaged you when I had when I watched uh, Bed Knobs and Broomsticks over the summer, and I'm really glad I um, I had and and certainly you know we lost Angela Lansbury recently, and what a loss! It's like oh, the the folks of a certain era are are no longer going to be with us, but um, gosh, we have a a lot to, to thank for for all their contributions and yeah it was a just yeah magical magical treat and i it's a great character so i'm i'm not surprised you highlighted it but i'm i'm glad you did so any final thoughts jim i know we um we we have communicated now for quite a while about these quotes but i I've, I've enjoyed this this uh, uh journey through the history of live action disney films with you and uh and I think now I have a, a couple of films I have not watched to check out. 
Yeah, I I always enjoy speaking with you. Or, or, you know, I I I I just always enjoy it. And I, I everything, whatever the subject is. And I was expect I, I was especially excited about this, Brett, because I, I was really curious about what you were going to choose. So I loved all your choices. They were wonderful and fascinating. So thank Likewise. you. Another great conversation as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I had wondered at one point, oh, you know, should we just focus on humorous quotes or inspirational quotes or pointing ones? But I think this allows for really a taste of just the the variety of of topics and genres and eras and characters within the Disney live action world, which is um, really nice. Uh, I, I quite enjoy that. And yeah, likewise, I, I always look forward to to our dialogues. And um, so, yes, we have covered everything from uh, something this something wicked this way comes to uh, Pirates of the Caribbean to Saving Mr. Banks and everything in between, just a real variety um, to be sure. Um, so, Jim, before we head out, uh, how can listeners follow any of your work? Because you have a lot of, you are in a lot of different places. <laughs> Well, if if anyone that's interested would like to just search me on Twitter and Instagram, I think if you go for Jim Fanning and Disney, you'll you'll find me. And unfortunately, I haven't been too active on those because it's been so busy for me lately, but I hope to get back to that soon. But I have been doing my YouTube channel, which is my main thing. And there is a brand new video every Tuesday at Tolgiewood TV, which is my YouTube channel. So I hope everyone will take a look and subscribe and and enjoy what they see there. And Tuesday's the day. So every Tuesday, please check me out on YouTube. Awesome. Thank you, Jim. This is a uh, this was definitely an extensive conversation, one that will have two parts, because <laughs> when we go two hours, it's a two-part episode in my book, um, and 20 uh, terrific quotes, no less. Um, thank you again for being on, and I hope this sparks a lot of folks to uh, revisit some favorite Disney films, check out some new ones, and uh, maybe find some random ways uh, in your daily life to say, woohoo, hullabaloo. So. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again Jim thank you Brett I really appreciate it that was one lengthy two hour conversation but one I thoroughly enjoyed having with Jim Fanning as we explored and made sense of 20 terrific live action Disney film quotes 10 from me and 10 from him I Hope you can appreciate uh, our selections. And of course, there are no right or wrong answers. These are all based on opinion and where we have a certain connection to movies based on those that we've seen a lot over the years, performances we enjoy, the quality of the screenwriting, of course, factored in majorly for this dialogue. And would be curious to hear your thoughts. Feel free to report those to the podcast via email or Twitter. And I think there will be many more opportunities in the future to examine really strong quotes from the Disney library, mind you. There are so many hundreds of Disney live action films. We didn't even focus on television or streaming films that have debuted over more recent years. 
and uh, there's a lot that we overlooked, and it's not like that we weren't uh, entertaining those, but some, but more along the lines of just honoring the ones that we felt held significance uh, based on our connections to Disney and, and what we uh, tend to consume and appreciate. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jim Fanning, and thank you again to him for joining me on Notably Disney. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at bnachmanreports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports. And be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to notablydisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.